Psalm 100, what a, what a great psalm of thanksgiving. Where it sits in the psalms is there's like four psalms before that, that sort of declare that the Lord is king and then there's this beautiful crescendo of thanksgiving about who God is. He is God. He is good. He made us, so let's be thankful. So shout, praise, come worship. It's simple. And then that last song, uh, Heart of Worship, what a lovely song that is. And there's a beautiful, beautiful line in there that says, and I simply come. Let's pray. Father, this morning we simply come. We simply come into your presence. And Father, we humbly ask that your spirit might do what your spirit does. And this morning, reveal truth to us. May your word help us walk faithfully in what you might reveal to us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome everybody. Great to see so many here this morning on a long weekend. Paul's on leave and, and I've got the job this morning, uh, the worship guy talking, the, on, talking on worship, so spoiler alert. Um, great, great for you to be with us and if you're, if you're new here, special warm welcome to you this morning, especially those online as uh, Joss has already done. Uh, We've just finished a five-week journey on, uh, on our focus series, and next week we begin our uh, series on Jonah, and that's going to take us into Easter. But today, we get to spend a few moments to think about worship. Why worship? What do we do in worship? What is God doing in worship? You know, there's a phrase that we've all heard before, we were made to worship. And that's true. In fact, all of humankind has been wired to worship. And that is by God's design. Now, what they worship varies, but that they worship does not and cannot vary. Sure, not everybody would call it worship or think about what they are doing, but it's universally true that everyone worships something. Everyone has that ultimate thing they centre their life around, something or someone that they hope will give their life some meaning and purpose. And if we line up to what God intends us to worship, we have the greatest attempt of meaning and deepest joy and satisfaction in our life. However, if we place our hopes and desires and worship on the wrong thing, we can end up sabotaging uh, the ability to experience life and life to the full. Where, where you place your hope is imperative to your joy. I'll say that again. Where you place your hope is imperative to your joy. And what I mean by that is if you've sort of banked your life on, on your job, on your money, on your success, uh, for some it might be fun or knowledge or beauty or sex or sporting heroes kids or, or your spouse, banking on those things, ascribing worth and value to those things alone, won't hold up and give you ultimate joy and meaning. And so what we worship and how we worship is profoundly important. Now I've got to say from the get-go, the whole concept of worship is way too big to cram into one message today, we're not going to go there, we're not going to be here for hours, good news I hear. Because um, Romans 12.1 says this, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, because that is our spiritual act of worship. 
1 Corinthians, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we are to do the glory of God or in worshipping God. So in fact, anything we do is supposed to be done in regards to worship. The expanse of worship is whole of life. We could do a whole series on it. We could talk about segments like work, uh, worship at work, worship in your finances, worship with your friendships, worship at church, you know, and the list could go on. It's way too big, so we're not doing that. So today, I want to share a particular space that God values, a space that God consistently talks about and that he designed. I want to talk about worshipping in the gathering, our role and his role in this. What's going on when the people of God gather? What is happening there? So if you've got a regular uh, church background, when I say worship or you hear people talk about worship, most of us think about the singing part of the service, right? Let's stand and worship the Lord and you're sort of going, okay, let's sing. Often we think about worship as though it's singing. Well, here's the truth. It can be and very much is. In fact, God is really serious about his people singing to him. So it's worth us spending a moment on this. If we sing without understanding God's purpose for it, we won't be motivated to sing. We won't benefit in the way that God intends us to. And most of all, God won't be glorified by our singing. By the way, when it comes to Christians and singing, we've got the really passionate ones, and we've got the non-passionate ones. We've got the gifted ones. How good was the team this morning? They were great this morning. Thank you, team. Awesome. And we've got the non-gifted as well. Amen. That's good. It's not about how good or bad your voice is. That's not a criteria. When it comes to singing in church, I believe no one, no one is excused. Not even those of you with zero musical ability. I didn't look anywhere. Um, the critical question is not do I have a voice, but do I have a song? And if you're a true worshipper, uh, forgiven and reconciled to God because of Jesus, then the answer is a resounding yes, absolutely, I have a song to sing. I've been restored. I've been forgiven. I've been set free. You know, it's a really huge encouragement when I see that person I know who cannot hold a tune really belt their praise out to God and sing loudly. Isn't that an encouragement thing when people do that? Making a joyful noise. That to me is awesome, honest, authentic worship, don't you think? Okay, let's look at this. We've got some scripture here. Psalm 47 verse 6. Sing praises to God. Play skillfully and show... I know. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. Got to sing. Psalm 33, verse 3, sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. Psalm 96, verse 1, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. So here's something to note. When the Bible talks about singing, it's really important for us to think about it correctly. And here's what I mean by that. God is lacking in nothing, in any way or in anything. So when he commands his people to sing, it's not because he's lacking, but rather, rather something has, needs to happen in us. And so it is never true 
that God has had a tough week and really needs to hear singing from us. He needs to sort of maybe re-energise his greatness for the next week. He doesn't need that. So I just gave you three verses. I could dig out 50 more that directly command the people of God to sing. And there are over 400 verses that reference singing in the word. We also read that God sings over his people. And in Hebrews, we hear that Jesus also sings. He, he's quoted in Hebrews as saying, in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So this is fundamental when it comes to worshipping in song. God wants something to happen in us. This isn't about him. He's not lacking in any way. He doesn't have tough weeks. So it's something in us he's trying to stir. You know, music is a really powerful thing. It can trigger a range of emotions. It can lower anxiety. It can help recall fond memories. Increasingly, researchers suggest it can also offer good health benefits. It promotes relaxation and helpful sleep. But at the same time, it can also boost your motivation and your energy. And God is the author and maker of this powerful tool called music. I know, I know you know all that, um, but did you know this? Did you know a thing called an earworm? Anybody heard of the term earworm? Not many. I didn't know about it. Viv was talking about it in the office during the week, and, I'm, and I didn't know what it was about, um, but I do know the experience. In fact, 98% of us know this experience. An earworm is when a song gets stuck in your head, and you can't get it out. You know what? Yeah, get that acknowledgement. And that song that's stuck in your head is actually a song you never want to have stuck in your head, and you're sort of embarrassed to know that you know the song. In my previous job about 20 years ago, I had a, had a guy who joined, joined the office, and he was sort of a, a nervy, um, quite excitable, pretty positive sort of guy, um, and he'd often come into the office whistling. And he would invariably come into the office whistling, oh, this is so annoying thing, popcorn. Anybody remember popcorn? Pop, 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 How annoying is that? Imagine having that all day in your head. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, why talk about earworms? A bit weird. Actually, I think we can have some influence with uh, what gets stuck in your head. Depends on what you're listening to. So like last week, leading worship, and I sort of had to learn this song, Thank You, Jesus. So all week, and sometimes during the night, which is actually a beautiful thing, I'm hearing, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. What a beautiful thing to remember. Beautiful thing. Some of you might want to have blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So music is a powerful thing. Let's move on. Leviticus 8, 1 to 5 says this. The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron and his sons, their garments, the anointing oil, the bull for the sin offering, the two rams, and the basket containing bread made without yeast, and gather the entire assembly at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses did this as the Lord commanded, and the assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Moses said to the assembly, This is what the Lord has commanded to be done. So there are instructions there and also in the New Testament 
where God is gathering his people together to do something among them corporately and that he wasn't doing individually. So there are plenty of times in the scriptures that we see this command to gather. You know, the idea that you can love God and not participate in the body, there's actually no place in the scriptures for that. And that's why when we went through the focus series, we had our five Ps in, and, and the, the first one was participation, participation in the body. So God is up to something in the corporate gathering. There's something about corporate worship which is not present in individual worship. And I believe that something is a fuller expression of the reality of God's presence. Now to my friends online, I've got to say something. There are, of course, reasons and seasons for not being able to gather. Fully understand that. Um, whether you can gather here or at your local church. Um, and many of those reasons absolutely valid, particularly with the concerns around the pandemic. But there might be some who might say, I can do church alone, or I can, I can do it at a coffee shop. And, you know, there's a bit of an element where you can go, yeah, spiritual encouragement and fellowship can happen anywhere. It's, that's true. But I've got to say it's limited. Let me read Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. It's chapter 10. I left the 10 off on, the, uh, on that, uh, that verse there. But more importantly, it says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And Colossians 3, 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Sometimes when we talk about worship or we hear people talking about worship, it can be catched in terms of boldly coming into the presence of God, we, we, we being in the presence of God. We need, we, we want, we desire this kind of emotive stirring up, this, this spiritual high, this uh, mountaintop post-youth camp crying, broken sort of spirit thing, and this sort of serious magic bullet that'll take away all your worries and all your concerns. And hey, I don't want to diminish or take anything away from that. I don't want to take away from the great move of God, and we should want that and pray for that and desire that presence of God. It's a beautiful thing. And we should ask God to be present in a way that is different to his omnipresence. You know, his omnipresence is the truth that God is everywhere all the time. So this perspective on worship is what theologians term a manifest presence or a special presence where there's a strong sense of God in the room, a weighty presence that is stirring and transforming. So what happens when there's an emphasis on that presence? And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, I pray and really desire this manifest presence. But what can get lost in that is the faith to believe that God is working on us and in us, whether we feel it or not. Whether we feel it or not. The reality is that when we gather together, God is not just present. He is active. He is active in the reading of the word. 
He was active in the, in the kids saying the Lord Prayer. He was active in the singing. He was active in the prayers. He was active in our offering, even in the greeting and in this teaching. He is active on people who are serving right now. Fill up on VP. Is he acting on you, mate? Is there an amen, mate? Amen. Got an amen. God is at work shaping and moulding and moving in us whether we get a spiritual high or not. So if it's true that God is active when we gather, it's not merely about what we bring to God. Rather, it's about what God is doing among us. So let's think about that. If you've been trained to think that worship is all about what you bring to God, you know you bring an offering of praise all the time, you bring your very best, you bring your A-game, you bring your shouty, um, smiley, happy, positive, but yet sort of forced thing, that's incompatible to a broken world, what's going on in our world at the moment. It's incompatible. So if you think the onus is on you, and, and you have the outcome of worship and that it's not God's activity, that can sort of lead to a legalistic approach and ultimately that does not please God. It doesn't leave room for that Psalm 51 lament worship. You know, the, the, the crying out of the heart, the, the, the mourner, the broken one. You know, God loves the broken um, and those with a contrite spirit. The one who doesn't even have strength to smile. It would be wrong for that person to be expected to come with an offering of praise, fall into line with that big, emotive, unbelievable praise experience that might exist in some places. While the broken-hearted man or woman has no space for worship, rather there's an expectation to raise a hand and clap and smile, there's no space for them to fall on the ground before God and cry out and say, have mercy. But Psalm 51, that lament, is worship. So let's be honest about what we bring to worship. And let's leave, room for, uh, let's leave aside those preconceived notions and leave room for God's activity. To give a, uh, a working definition of what happens when the church gathers, here's a diagram, uh, courtesy of David Peterson from his Biblical Theology of Worship. So God works on us, or ministers to us. If you're over 40, you understand that. God works on us, and we respond to God in gratitude, uh, or in praise, or in a lament, as we minister to one another. That's what's, going, that's what's happening when we gather as a church. God works on us. We respond to him as we minister to one another. So I raised that issue of the Psalm 51 kind of worship, the crying out. But if you've got a pretty good knowledge of your Bible, and I think you do, what do we do about the hundreds of other verses in the Bible that talk about shouting to God? Clapping, bowing, even dancing. I know we're Baptists, but it's in there. So referring back to that, that definition, what do we do about those verses? Um, so they, these verses are, 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 and the actions described, uh, bowing, falling, clapping, uh, fall in that gratitude category, gratitude that God is acting on us. Our response to that, the overflow of our gratitude is praise loudly, clap loudly, stand up, sing and even dance. Uh, 
Theologians call these postures of praise. And because we're not all wired the same and that everybody is different, in the same service we might have one person rejoicing, singing loudly and someone sitting and mourning and weeping. And God sees both of their hearts and says, this is worship. Now, a little bit controversial here. I, I think we've been a little bit shortchanged or stunted by the desire for the spectacular, for spectacular worship. You know, maybe it's the influence of, of, of media, you know, professionally recorded worship or, or great videos. Again, I'm not against that. I'm all for a, a level of excellence that's un, undistracted in, in our place here. But this desire to have spectacular worship and yet I want to say it is in the ordinary day-to-day -day gathering that God shapes us most. It's in the long game that God moves us. Please don't get me wrong. Wow, I really long for God's manifest presence among us. A great move of his spirit and revival and, and people to be healed. We all desire that. But we can't neglect the ordinary graces of God that by faith we acknowledge that he is at work moving and shaping and doing something and making us more like Jesus. Even this morning now, he's accomplishing something. Right now. As you hear me speak, it might be boring. I'm not offended. But God's at work. He's doing something. It might not be spectacular, but God's in it. He's been in everything that's taken place this morning by his spirit. I don't know about you, but I really find that quite grounding. It's a reason for me to be here. So there you have it. That's the benefits of gathering. If you want to embrace it, here are some pointers. I'll come. I'll come to the gathering. I'll pray. I'll pray, I'll open my heart to hear and encounter God. I'll receive. I'll receive what God has to give by his spirit. I may not feel it, but I'll receive it. I can prepare. I can read up on the text that's coming next Sunday, read up on Jonah for next Sunday. Or I can sing in the car on the way to church. That's a way of preparation. I'll serve. The gathering is not a spectator event. We are the body of Christ, every member working together. I'll respond. The gathering isn't an end in itself. It prepares us for the week ahead, taking Sunday into Monday. A couple of things I want to leave with you. Please note... This is not a drive for your attendance. This is not the season for that. But I do want to share a self-realisation, and that is this, a bit of a testimony. I have been shaped by a life marked by worship. Worship highs and the worship daily graces. And my life has been shaped by years of being with you, 
It has utterly transformed the way I walk this earth and how I operate. And this is why God says, don't neglect the gathering. Come, expect. You may not feel it, but it's at work on you. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for this church family and just this opportunity to be here today. How wonderful it is to sing with your people and worship you. And to come, not necessarily bring gifts to you, but come and just know that that you are working on us and in us. You are gracious and you are merciful. Even now, help us to hear from you where you are moulding and shaping those areas in our lives. Yeah, Father, grant us the faith to believe that worship is not dependent on what we bring, but rather that you are wondrously working on us. And may that fill our hearts with gratitude. We love you. And for your glorious name, we pray. Amen.